Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, love people, and reach our world. If you have any questions or want to learn more about us, you can always check us out online by going to gracelife.church. We'd love for you to stay connected throughout your week and everywhere you go with the gracelife.church app. It's free and available wherever you download apps. Hey, so glad to have you here, especially if you're a guest. We're glad that you're worshiping with us on Easter. You know, think about this for a minute. Why is Easter so special outside of the obvious answer, of course, the obvious answer, but I mean, it's really like an anniversary or a birthday, right? It's that day where all year long we love you, but there's one day where we make a big deal out of you because it's the day your mama put you here. Come on, you know what I'm talking about? It's like every day you love your spouse, but there's that one day that you are extra careful not to say the wrong thing at breakfast so the day doesn't go the wrong way because you're going to bring home flowers and go out to a special dinner and celebrate how many years. And, and that really is what Easter is like. Look, every single day, the truth is, like Matt was just saying during worship, Jesus is raised from the grave. He rules. He sits on a throne every single day. But we can forget that as we just go throughout life. And so I I love Easter because it's a time where we get to actually stop for a moment and think about what Jesus has done for us. And and it's just such a special day. But I also kind of hate Easter. And I want to tell you why. It has nothing to do with spiritual things, though. It's because our school system here always puts spring break with Easter. Come on, anybody knows what I'm talking about? Any other parents in the house? Well, probably not because you're at Disney. That's what you do. But I'm a pastor. I don't get to go to Disney the week around Easter. And so they put spring break and my kids are like, hey, daddy, let's let's go do something. I'm like, I've got a job. Matter of fact, I've got the busiest week of my life, most likely, is the week that they're at home doing nothing for spring break. So I decided I was going to plan ahead this year because I've been frustrated every year I've done this. And it it took about eight or nine years. I finally figured out this was coming. (laughs) Easter comes every year. Spring break comes every year. Yeah, anyway, so I finally figured it out. And I I came up with some things I was going to do to try to make this week a little more special for some family time. And one of them was I was going to get off work just a couple hours early one day and go up to Carowinds with my kids. It it turns out that everybody (laughs) thought this was a good family idea. Uh, So we spent about five hours there, rode one ride, and abandoned that. Uh, So I'm not sure they got many daddy points for that one. So came up with another idea one night. I thought, well, I'll just rent a movie on the way home. My wife asked me to stop by the grocery store, pick up some stuff. And so, you know, as you're walking out the door, like Redbox is right there. I'm thinking, I'll just pick up the newest Redbox PG-13 thing that says family that we haven't seen. So I pick up this movie. And uh, if you haven't seen this movie, I'm about to ruin it for you. I'm sorry, but too bad I've got the mic. So here's the thing. It it was this movie called The Kid Who Would Be King. And and it's in the family kids section, and it's PG. And and in the first two minutes of this animated, animated, right, part, whoever came with this storyline, I don't understand because I've heard the story of King Arthur, and suddenly they've decided King Arthur has a sister who wants the throne. So King Arthur has some supernatural power to turn her into a demon and put her into the bowels of the earth that looks like hell. If you haven't seen it, there you go. Hide your kids. So anyway, we're only two minutes into this kid movie when this weird demon looking thing is like trying to, ooh, it was, I mean, I, like I've seen a demon once in my life and it wasn't nearly as scary as this cartoon character. So that, that tells you something about the quality of this artist. So my, my wife and I are looking at each other like, I think this is a bad call. And, and so my eight-year-old daughter is between us with a blanket over her head. And as I'm thinking, oh my gosh, we are going to have to turn off the movie. As I said, do you think we should stop this? Then my 10-year-old son says, no, I love it. And he gets up and he's jumping. So (laughs) y'all think I make these stories up and I don't. 
So at that moment, it's starting to hit me. If we continue to watch this movie, my eight-year-old daughter is going to be tormented. If we do not continue to watch the movie, my 10-year-old son's going to torment me. So since she was so afraid of this demonic darkness little creature, came up with the perfect solution. Honey, just go upstairs to our bedroom and watch TV there. Watch whatever you want. And she gets to the top of the stairs and then she freezes because it's dark and there are no lights on. And I guess they think that the, like, the, the, the demon lady could be up there or something. I don't know. So she goes from being afraid of this demon darkness to now she's suddenly afraid of the dark. Now here's the thing. When we all grow up, we stop being afraid of the dark, right? And if you haven't done that, by the way, if you're 40 years old, you still sleep with a SpongeBob nightlight, don't tell anybody. <laughs> it's not cool. There's no redemptive value in that story whatsoever. There is just, just be quiet. So we grow up and we stop being afraid of the dark, but here's the thing. We don't stop being afraid of the darkness. And we were still people who, with the fears in our lives, rule every thought that we have. Like we're afraid of the worst things coming to pass. I'm not talking about being like afraid of spiders. If you're afraid of spiders, you should be. They're freaky little things. I don't know why God made them. They've got eight legs. They jump out of a tree, land on your head, and wrap you in a cocoon of web you can't get out of before you even move. I'm <laughs> tormented by a movie my parents should have turned off, clearly. <laughs> we have this anxiety that the worst things will come to pass. We, we have little or no hope that, that God will actually show up in our darkest moments, Right? And it's just crazy to think about why we are still afraid of the darkness as we get older. One of my favorite songs, we're actually going to close out with it here in a few minutes. I've asked the worship team to sing it. It's, it's a song called Tremble. And it's a really cool song, but that's not why it's one of my favorite. And we have really cool lights that go with it. And that's still not why it's one of my favorites. It's, it's one of my favorites because it has this line that says, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. And that's an incredible song. But here's what's crazy. As a pastor, I'll sit in my office and people will make appointments and come and talk to me about what's going wrong in their life. And they're, they're worried about all these things and they've got all these fears and they've got no hope. And it, it hits me. Wait a minute. If Jesus makes the darkness tremble, why do we still let the darkness make us tremble? Come on, that's a good question, isn't it? So what I want to do is I want to look at something Jesus said in his final moments of life and see if we can come up with an answer to that question. Uh, but more importantly, let's see if we can come up with stopping why we let the darkness make us tremble. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke 22. If you don't, don't worry, everything's going to be on the screen right here beside you. And so in Luke 22, this is uh, at the point where Jesus's life on earth is coming to an end. He's actually uh, just finished what we call the Last Supper. He was just having the Passover feast for the last time with his disciples, the last thing that he was going to do here on earth. And he goes out to a garden. He takes a few of the disciples with him and he goes to pray. And this is that moment where he's saying, Father, if there's any opportunity, if there's any way, if it's your will, please let this pass. But nevertheless, whatever your will is, I'll do. And so that's the moment that just passed. And we're going to pick up the story at what happens right after Jesus prays that prayer in the garden. So chapter, 20, uh, Luke, yeah, chapter 22, verse 47 says, while he was still speaking to his disciples that he was talking to there, there came a crowd and the man called Judas, who had been one of the 12 disciples was leading them and he drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the son of man with a kiss? Then Jesus said to the chief priest and the officers of the temple and the elders who had come out against him, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? 
When I was with you day after day in the temple, you didn't lay hands on me. You didn't try to stop me then. You didn't do anything then. But this, this is your hour. This, this is the power of darkness. This, this thing that you see right now, all of this injustice, all of this hatred, all of this betrayal by one of his followers, all of the apparent triumph of evil, all of the disillusionment that everybody else whoever followed him is beginning to feel, all of this, this is the power of darkness. If you were a bystander at this point, you would say it, it looks like darkness is one. I mean, one of Jesus' own, one of the 12 closest to him for the last three years that saw everything he ever did, actually just turned against him, just betrayed him, for a mere 30 pieces of silver. He was being taken away into custody by force, by people who would let nothing stop them from getting rid of Jesus. Now, if you don't know the story of what happens next at this point, here's the problem. The people who hated Jesus were Jewish religious leaders. And the reason that they hated Jesus is because he was confronting their little world of power. You see, because they had positions, they could tell people to do certain things in certain ways, and they kept people kind of bound to their religious system. They had power, and they were tired of Jesus coming along and, and preaching a different message, a gospel of freedom and of truth, and, and so they were frustrated. It was threatening what they had built. The problem is, well, they were just Jewish religious leaders, and at this time, if you're not familiar with history, uh, the Jewish people didn't really rule themselves. Rome had conquered most of the known world, and so everything was ruled by Rome. And so when they, they grab Jesus, they kind of have their own little mock trial in one of the chief uh, priest's house, and, and they didn't get anywhere with that, of course. They just kind of get some half-baked answers. And so they, they go off and take him to this Roman governor. His name was Pilate. You maybe have heard that name. And so Pilate has a conversation with Jesus, and he says, look, I don't, I don't see anything wrong with this guy. But Pilate didn't want to be the one on the hook. You know, the problem with being afraid of the Romans, if you're one of the Romans, you're even more afraid of the Romans because you, you know what your government is capable of. And so Pilate sent, sent Jesus over to this guy named Herod because he realized that, wait a minute, this city that we're in right now is my problem, but Jesus is from your city. That makes him your problem. So he sends him over to Herod and uh, you deal with him. Well, Herod did the same thing. Herod says, I see no problem in him. And since we're in your city, I'm going to send him back to you and make you deal with him. And, and so Pilate gets Jesus back and he stands up in front of the crowd and he says, look, I, I don't see anything wrong with him. He said this multiple times. He, he's innocent. He said that out loud. There's no guilt in this man. And matter of fact, Herod didn't find any guilt in him either. So here's a Roman official declaring Jesus has no guilt. He's done nothing wrong. There's another official declaring Jesus has done nothing wrong. There's no guilt in him. And Pilate says, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to punish him and let him go. What do you mean you're going to punish him? For what? You just said he's innocent. I don't know about you, but I, I grew up going to church, and I grew up hearing this story at least every Easter, and, and, and I'm a logical person. I'm kind of a little OCD, but we'll save that for another day. And, and so as I'm hearing this story, there's always a detail that I never understood, which is how does a government official declare someone innocent but then actually condemn them to death? How does that work? There, there's something wrong with this story that doesn't make sense. 
Well, I, I'm a bit of a nerd and a history guy, and so I, I'll, I'll have a nerd moment. Anybody want to have a nerd moment with me? Any history fans in here? I actually just learned this a few months ago. I didn't ever know this, but uh, there's a guy that was emperor at the time by the name of Tiberius. Now, he's not as famous as a guy like Caesar, so maybe you've never heard of him. The problem with Tiberius being emperor is he didn't want to be a good emperor. He wanted the power and he wanted the luxury, but he didn't actually want to do the day-to-day -day of running the government. You know, it's like a businessman who wants paychecks but doesn't want to go run his business. And so Tiberius actually just packed up and went and lived on an island in the middle of the Mediterranean and never came back to Rome. He's like, I'm just having a great life over here. Look, blue, water, white, sand, and I'm the emperor. It's as great as it could ever be. But here's the problem. He wanted to stay on his happy little island and in order to stay on his happy little island, Rome had to stay peaceful. So he made it very, very clear. If you like your job, if you like your life, you will keep things calm at all costs. And so what Pilate knows at this point is that this mob that's standing in front of him, Tiberius will hear about. If this mob rises up into some kind of riot and causes destruction all over Jerusalem, Pilate knows he is likely to be dead his best case scenario is poor and tossed out on the streets and a has-been. But, but that's best case scenario. Most likely he's going to be dead. On the other hand, Tiberius will never hear that some little Jewish guy who supposedly was innocent got killed. Nobody will ever hear about that. And, and so Pilate actually lets the crowd vote because, again, all he cares about is self-preservation. He multiple times has already said there's nothing, nothing wrong with this guy. He's innocent. He's not guilty. But in his own self-preservation, he stands up in front of the crowd and says, so here's it. I'm going to let y'all vote because basically I just need to keep y'all happy. I need to keep y'all happy so I stay alive. If y'all stay happy, so here's what we're going to do. Over here, we've got a murderer. And over here, we've got an innocent guy named Jesus. I'll let go whichever one you want to let go. And they shouted and they voted to let free the murderer, the one who had done something wrong, and instead to crucify the innocent Jesus in his place. And so the innocent Jesus was crucified as the guilty murderer would let go, as a picture of what Jesus would do for all of humanity for the rest of life. Let the guilty ones go while the innocent one pays the price. And so he was tried, accused, condemned, and sentenced to death. Now, as he hung on a cross where he died, he said something else in his last few moments. This is a chapter later if you're looking with me in your Bible. It's Luke 23. It was now about the sixth hour, that's noon, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, which was about 3 p.m. And when the sun's light had failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now, if you were a bystander at this point, you would have said, now, definitely darkness is one. And you know what? Darkness thought it had. I mean, at this point, we've got Jesus who has been taken by force into custody. Again, he's accused, he's tried, he's condemned, he's even crucified, although he's completely innocent. Those who hated him for what he did are victorious. They got their way. Corrupt human power has won. The one who had compassion on the weak and on the poor and healed the sick and preached grace is dead. That's what you'd see if you're a bystander. But let's talk about what you 
couldn't see if you were a bystander. You see, that was just in the natural realm. That's what a human could see with his own eyes. But there's actually another realm there. It's a spiritual realm. And in that realm, it didn't look like darkness had won. No, in that realm, darkness actually knew it had won. It knew. Maybe you're familiar with the story. A little bit earlier, Jesus had actually run into a, a man filled with demons. And the demons came up and, and spoke to Jesus as this man walked up to him. They said, we know who you are, the son of God. There was never any doubt in the realm of darkness who Jesus was from the minute he was born. That's why another King Herod attempted to have Jesus and every young male anywhere to be found killed because the kingdom of darkness knew who it was that was coming. They had no doubts whatsoever. And so as Jesus hangs upon the cross, they know that's the son of God right there. That is the son of God, the precious, the one and only, the supernaturally born son of God hanging lifeless on a cross. Darkness knew, there was no doubt, darkness knew it had won. Oh, and then there's the devil. We haven't even gotten to him yet, right? Now, here's the thing about the devil. I think the devil knew God better than most humans did. Truth is, I think the devil still knows God better than most humans. I mean, he was in heaven with God and he seems to understand some things we didn't like. He understands this. All humans are sinful and all sin has to be paid for by death. No exception, no exception. And he also knew God is just, no exception. And so every human will have to die to pay for their sin. No exception. Death was permanent. No exception. No one has ever not stayed dead. No exception. God is just. God follows his own rules. No exception. Jesus is on that cross. Jesus is dead. <laughs> the devil is thinking, oh, I have won. Darkness knew at that point it had won. And it was ironclad. Like, you know, in a sports game when there's like no chance of a team winning, there is still somebody in Vegas betting on that team. They're just hoping to strike it big. But at this point, I am telling you, there was not one bet placed in hell that this was going another direction. It was ironclad. Darkness had won and Jesus had lost. It's the only way it was. Have you ever known, like, no matter what, you've won? You ever just knew that you knew that you knew that you won? Y'all are all looking at me like, what are you talking about? Come on, I know there's some Falcons fans in this room. <laughs> 2016, come on, I'm gonna traumatize you for a minute. There you go. Super Bowl, fourth quarter begins. You've got the greatest lead that the fourth quarter, you, you, there's no one that's ever come back from a fourth quarter lead like this. Never, it's never happened in human history. Come on, what's that? Da, da, da. Let, let go of the Falcons. We got some Yankees fans in here, I bet. You're up three to nothing in the playoffs. No team in human history has ever come back to win four straight when they've lost three straight in the playoffs. Never in history. And on top of that, you're playing the team everybody thinks is cursed, including themselves. <laughs> Just like all the Falcons and all the Yankees, darkness knew it had won. But there's a problem with darkness knowing it won. The first problem is this. Jesus was not taken by force. Jesus was not. See, they thought they had got to look at this. Oh, there's the son of God, the all-powerful God. And look at it. We got him. We grabbed him. We dragged him. And Jesus said, no, 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 you didn't drag me off. 
Matter of fact, when they came for him, one of his disciples reached out, took a sword and got ready to fight to the death. And Jesus, uh-uh, put that down. Because Jesus had made it clear, no one takes this from me. <laughs> Ain't nobody taking my life. They don't have one up on me. I voluntarily, willingly give my life because this is actually why the father sent me. That's the first problem with darkness thinking it won. The second problem with darkness thinking that it had won is because Jesus was sinless. He may be hanging dead on that cross. And the devil knew that sin had to be paid for with blood. It began back in the garden. That's the reason that as soon as Adam and Eve sinned, that God took some animal and killed an animal to clothe them with the animal's skin. It was because the blood that was shed had to cover the sin that they just made. And the devil knows that as Jesus hangs there and his blood is shed, I want you guys to imagine with me, right? God created us. God gave us an imagination. So just go with me because I don't have a movie to show you here. But just imagine... This part's real. In the heavenly realm, every single one of us, for our name, there is a list of everything we've ever done wrong. That part you don't have to imagine. You can just imagine little sheets of paper in your name. Just write your name at the top of that sheet of paper. See, here's the problem. We have a perfectly holy God, and then we're not. And so every little thing that we've ever done, the smallest infraction against that perfect holiness, it gets written on that sheet of paper under our name. Everything that we've ever done, every attitude, every action, every evil thought, everything that is on the other side of holy, holy, and then everything else, it all gets written on that sheet of paper. And, and it started as this beautiful white sheet of paper, your name goes at the top, but now there's so many infractions against holiness, so many things written that that sheet of paper is turned black almost with the ink of everything that we've ever done wrong. And the blood of Jesus starts to run. Imagine this with me. And the devil looks. He sees the sheet of paper that says Jesus. Now, the devil's not surprised about this because he knows who he is. He knows that Jesus is the son of God, the perfectly holy God in the flesh. There's no way the perfectly holy God ever did anything against his own nature. There's never a possibility that the perfectly holy God was ever not holy the whole time that he lived upon the earth. So he knows and he can look and he can see and he's not surprised that underneath Jesus is white sheet of paper. <laughs> There's nothing for Jesus's blood to cover. Satan doesn't really care because he still looks and on the cross right over there, he sees the lifeless body of the son of God. It's okay, let that blood run is what he's thinking. But what he didn't account for is as that blood started running, it went and found other names. And it found a little sheet of paper and it said Troy right at the top of it. And boy, that was a messy sheet of paper, wasn't it, Troy? Come on. And as that black sheet of paper all covered with every infraction written in ink and in the margins and everywhere else. Everything that Troy had ever done wrong, ever would do wrong was already there. And as that blood began to just drench, wash over it, it went from black to red. And then as it kept going, it turned white. washed it as white as snow and then it went to a sheet of paper that said Kent it went to a sheet of paper that said Brent and it just kept going and the devil you can just see him starting to get angry oh no this is not it's all right you can have a couple of them back you can take them if you want because I've still got your son your precious little son is over there you can have all of these broken little people all you want because I've still got your son you know the third thing darkness didn't account for? It didn't account for God. 
Because here's the thing. You can just imagine. Keep imagining with me now. God's sitting up in heaven going, okay, you're right. Sin had to be paid for. Blood had to be shed. There had to be a death. Jesus had to die. (laughs) But I never said he had to stay dead. power of God. You see, you knew who I was. You knew that I had to punish sin. You saw my justice when Jesus died and his blood was shed to pay for the sins of all of those names. Anybody who would ever call Jesus king, their names have been washed white as snow. Yes, you know I'm a just God. Matter of fact, you just saw my justice and then you saw my love because I didn't make them die for themselves. I made my son die for them. You've seen my justice. You've seen my love. Now watch my power. Here's the thing. We just read how it turned dark. The sky turned dark from noon to three. I don't know about you. When I was going to school growing up, I I loved when you could kind of turn Bible things into logical, natural things because then it was easier to believe the Bible. You know, people go, nobody lives in a fish for three days kind of thing. So I remember in science class when somebody said, like, this this could have been like a solar eclipse. And, And then you go, yeah, come on, man, that's a solar eclipse. God perfectly timed a solar eclipse with what he was doing. And so then you can kind of believe the Bible. Don't you guys love when you have these divine coincidences that make the Bible more believable? Come on, anybody with me? You're like, yeah, my science teacher, take that one. Yeah, come on. Let me tell you something. That is not a divine coincidence. And that cannot happen according to science. Let me tell you why. The Passover, and that's what we're celebrating. That's why Easter changes its date all the time. The Passover is always during a full moon. Here's your nerd moment of the day. Anybody wants to win this in science class, good luck. And a solar eclipse can only occur during a new moon. Why am I telling you that? Because I don't want you to walk out the door today believing in divine coincidences. I want you to walk out the door today knowing that the power of God does what he wants to do. When he is displeased with what human history has done, he'll make the sky dark for three hours to say, this is what it's going to be like without my son and the life that he brought to the earth. So I'm going to leave you with a question. If Jesus makes the darkness tremble, where does the darkness make you tremble? I want you to think about that. Where does the darkness make you tremble? How do you come back from the greatest defeat in human history? Come on, think about this. The greatest defeat in all, the most humiliating defeat in all of human history. This is not anything to rival, like a a sports comeback, nothing compared to, a a military comeback, nothing compared. This was the entire kingdom of darkness. Every demon in hell, the devil himself, has the son of God trapped, lifeless, on a cross, dead. And he comes back to life. How do you come back from that kind of defeat if you're the kingdom of darkness? It should have all been done. There should have been nothing for the last 2,000 years. How do you come back from that? I'll tell you how. With an illusion. You convince people. You convince people that was a one-time fluke. You convince people. Convince people that Mm. I'll win when it comes to your life. Whatever you're facing, (laughs) I'll win. You convince people 
that what God did that day, he did for Jesus. Because Jesus is special. And you're not. Jesus is the son of God. You're just you. Why do you think God will show up like that again? You convince people God is big and you're small. That's what you do. You convince people. The sad part is it's worked for 2,000 years. Here's what I need you to know. Probably the most famous verse in all the Bible, for God so loved the world. For God so loved you. For God so loved me that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Hear me. What God did that day, he didn't do for Jesus. He did for you. He didn't do it for Jesus because Jesus was special. He did it to Jesus for you because you're special. Because every single one of you is created as an image bearer of the one true living God. He did that for you. So where does the darkness make you tremble? If that is the name above every name, Jesus, if that is the name that sends shivers down the spine of every demon, if they had them, you know what I'm saying? I mean, they're, whoa, don't say that name. It takes us back to a very dark day trigger me. Don't say that name. Jesus, the name above every name. Maybe for you, it's guilt. You know, I'll I'll be honest. I don't mean to call you out, but there are a lot of people who go to church a couple of times a year. This is one of them. And you come on Easter because you know the story, you believe in Jesus, you believe in God, but why not the rest of the year? Usually because of guilt. Usually because the guilt is so overwhelming. You don't even walk in the doors of a place like this. It it just makes you feel bad. (laughs) Again, convince people, right? Listen, here's what you need to know. Guilt is real. And that's why Jesus died on the cross for you. And if the enemy can get you to believe that your name still has this long, ugly list written under it, we'll come back and talk about that in just a minute. If guilt overwhelms you. Maybe for you, when you think about the darkness, maybe it's just your whole life purpose. You think, man, I've made too many mistakes. I've messed up too much. I've gone too far. I'm I'm too far away from God. God could never do anything to fix this. I'm too old, whatever your story is. I really, really, really want to ask you to come back next week if this is you. We're going to spend the next few weeks talking about a guy who didn't even hear from God until he was 75 and then made some of the biggest mistakes anybody could ever make. And yet God made him the greatest promise. Maybe for you, when you think about where the darkness makes you tremble, it's, there's a, an outcome. It, it's already been spoken over you. Maybe it was by a doctor. Maybe it was by a banker. Maybe it was by a mother or a father. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was by a spouse. But there is a bad outcome that you believe is guaranteed in your life. And you need the power of God to show up once again and say, watch me. For my wife and I, one of the darkest days, one of the most guaranteed bad outcomes in our life was December 1st, 2006. 
I was a teacher at the time and well, teachers don't exactly get paid a lot. I grew up in construction. My dad was a contractor. So we decided a, a summer little gig would be to flip a house. And we begged and borrowed and almost stole. We didn't actually steal, but we begged and borrowed everything we could from a couple of different banks, from friends and every credit card we could in order to get this, this old Civil War era home and, and, and put a quarter of a million dollar renovation into it. And then, then we were ready to sell this thing and, and actually like breathe a little. Did y'all notice I said it was December 1st? We had already made the last payment we could make months earlier. We were 14 days from default and losing not only that house, which would have been the least of our worries, but losing probably our current house, being hundreds of thousands in debt to family and friends we had never been able to pay back. Our, our life was devastated. And if, if, if you're a provider, you understand what I'm talking about. It, it, although those are just numbers, they're not. It's your identity. Shouldn't be, but it is. And you're feeling like your whole world is going to crash. But here's the crazy thing. That wasn't our biggest problem that day. That problem faded away. Our biggest problem that day is that we were in the hospital delivering a child. And 16 months earlier, we had left that maternity ward empty-handed. And we were back a second time with the same diagnosis. For the second time, the doctors told us, you can birth this child, but you will not leave the hospital with this child. This child has no chance of life. And then God just, like he wanted to just do something funny. My wife called for a doctor and the doctor didn't even have time to get down to the hall. A nurse and I got to catch this child. And as we looked at this child, I'm looking and my first thought was, well, he looks normal. He doesn't look like anything that the ultrasound said I was going to see right now. On top of that, he looks like he needs a haircut. I mean, I've never had a kid. I'm not kidding you. We're like, do you, do you actually take like a two-day-old to a barber on the way home from the hospital? That child had no life expectancy today as one of our greeters. He's 12 years old. He's probably out in the hallway right now. That was the important thing. And the power of God showed up. But just for the fun of it, because God is just that cool. A couple hours later, my realtor called. We had an offer on the house. They were going to close in 14 days. That's just cool. So here's what I want to ask you. Where does the power of darkness make you tremble? And I'm going to ask you to name it. Not out loud. You don't have to say it out loud. Where does the power of darkness make you tremble? Because I want to pray for you. And I want to see the power of darkness humiliated once again. I want to see the power of God come and move in your life. I want God to show up and do for you what only God can. Because, you see, if today... If the reason we were here today was to celebrate the greatest event in human history 2,000 years ago, well, that would be cool. But we're not here to do just that. We're here to celebrate that God himself who is still on his throne, who is still doing the amazing things he did 2,000 years ago before and ever since. The power of God is real. He makes the darkness tremble.
And my hope for you today, when we leave this place, that the darkness no longer makes you tremble. Will you name it? Name it. Where does the darkness make you tremble? I'm going to pray for you right there. Will you join me? Father God, I thank you so much for the victory, the victory of Jesus coming out of the grave, being guarded by the greatest army, the greatest soldiers, and they could not hold him. The kingdom of darkness, they could not hold him. And it showed who you are, and it showed the power that you have, and it showed (laughs) your might. God, I pray right now for every person in this room that what they have named, you know. You know the thoughts of every one of us. Every person in this room has named something about what makes them tremble, that makes them believe that darkness is going to win this one, that makes them believe that bad will conquer good. And I pray right now for every person in this room that you will meet them in this place, that you will show up with the same power that you spoke the world into creation, with the same power that you spoke your son back to life with the same power and meet every person here right now and show that you are a God whose power still reigns. If you would just stay in a place of prayer a moment ago, I mentioned that the guilt is real. The guilt is real. Guilt simply is a sign that we are not perfectly holy and yet our God is. Maybe you're here today and you've heard the story of Jesus, but You've never responded to it personally. Maybe you've also heard the story of Jesus. You've been raised in a church and your idea is, well, Jesus died for humanity and I'm a human, so I'm good. But what I need to tell you today is no, you're not. Because although he died for humanity, he died for humanity one at a time. And every single one of us, we have to look through the corridors of time. 2000 years collapses and today we stand and we look at Jesus on the cross. And he looks at you and says, I'm doing this for you. And every single one of us at some point in time, I hope for many of you, it'll be right now. We have to look back at him and say, thank you that you died for me. Now I want to live for you. And if you've never done that, I'm going to help you have a conversation with him right now, right where you're seated. Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And now I do want to live for you. I thank you for your love, your mercy, your forgiveness. I thank you for your power to change my life and to change me. And my simple prayer here today, you'll fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people, everybody. Amen. Yeah. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to gracelife.church resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.